of uh, Bishop Flynn and Lady Carolyn Johnson. And uh, it's good that you sit down because uh, this morning we're going to play a little round of Finders Keepers. Is that all right? Anybody play Finders Keepers when you were a kid? Or at least you said, some, said to somebody, Finders Keepers, Losers Weepers. Is that all right? There are two. One on this side and one on that side. There are two $20 bills in one of the seats on one side and one on that side. Deep in the pocket in the seat in front of you, there is a $20 bill. I want to see who's a finder. Hey, I found one finder. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Ah, Shannon found the other one. All the rest of us, wham, we weepers. They get to be finders and keepers. That all right? Listen, if you can't have fun in church, who wants to go there? Who wants to go to a church that ain't fun? All right, listen, to, right now we are getting ready to hear the word of the Lord. The reason why we have worship, it is to prepare your heart for what you will receive regarding when, what's going to be preached. Because when you leave here, you need something to sustain you. That all right? So if you would, the way we do it here is we give honor where it's due. If you would, please stand on your feet as we honor. I say stand on your feet. See, your mama, your mama waited. She said it two and three times before you obey her. I'm going to help you out today. A word to the wise. Oh, is it that you're tired because you've been... Sorry, forgive me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we prepare our, eye, our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to receive of your word today. Would you help us to see it clearly? Would you help us to understand it and give us the courage to do it by the power of your spirit? We thank you, Lord, because this is a great church. And the word that comes forth from this pulpit is always good. And today, Father, we prepare our hearts as the father of our church comes to give us our word. In Jesus' name, anybody with faith, will you clap your hands and say amen. Can you hear me? Is that all right? Take the hand of the person standing on the sides of you. and um, I just love the way you worship, you know, and... I just want you to lose all, I want us to lose all uh, restraint in the sense of embarrassment or self-consciousness in our praise to God. Um, when you consider what he's done for us, what he's done for you, they used to sing a song, oh, oh, what he's done for me. When you consider that, then really for real what else can you do but give him glory and give him praise and honor if you think about what he brings you through and what he has protected you from oh my god you just want to kind of put your hands together and applaud him and just give him the glory can you do that for a second can we just do that the bible says shout unto god with the voice of Christ." 
bless your name, Jesus. Bless your name. For breaking from us every shackle, weight, and sin that keeps us from running and following you, that we may achieve what you've asked us to achieve. We give you praise for breaking every chain. Lord, for loosening every weight that weighs us down. We thank you, Lord, for taking from us doubt and fear that keeps us from achieving and going and doing what you want us to do. For this, we give you praise today with all of our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our victor and triumphing over every evil thing. We declare today that victory belongs to Jesus. Let your word ring victoriously in our hearts today. May our whole week change before us because of what we hear and see. And Lord, what we do in Jesus' name. Clap your hands and give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You satisfied us, Lord. Hallelujah. Hug your neighbor and say, finders are weepers. Losers are keepers. You may be seated. He said, well, Bishop, that's backwards. Not really. It's only backwards. It's only backwards to the flesh. For God's kingdom, that is the way it is. For Jesus made a powerful statement. If you wish to come after me, the Lord said, whoever wants to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross every day and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wishes to, whoever loses their life, for my sake, will save it. So in the kingdom of God, it's actually backwards to us in the natural. The finders are weepers, but losers in the kingdom are keepers. It's, a, it's very different. By God's grace, part two, I hope you get it so that you can be a keeper and not a loser. A keeper and not a weeper. And all the people said amen. amen. So the Bible rehearses an encounter of the Lord. And by the way, can you, you can hear me okay? You can hear me distinctly? Oh, cool. Anyway, you can get me more me in the, so fake me out, so I think I'm really coming through. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, in, in the book of Mark, the Lord Jesus gives us one of the greatest lessons, and talk about story change the world. This is a story that changes the world, change your world. If you get it, if you receive it. By the way, last week we had the most powerful women's encounter. Anybody go to the women's encounter? 
God bless you. And, and uh, men, our encounter is coming up this weekend. Say amen. And it's going to be awesome. I want you to prepare yourselves for that. It'll change your life. Jesus has a life-changing encounter with this young man. A young man who has everything most of us want in life. He's young. People are trying their best to stay young. We, we have, America has a Peter Pan syndrome. I don't want to grow up. We, we do anything we can do to stay young. And if we, can't, if we lose it, we buy it. If it's too big, we shrink it, even if temporarily. If it's blotched, we paint it. If it's discolored, we put makeup on it. If they're not long enough, we add eyelashes to it. I, I, was, I was looking at that show that comes on television called Botched. Has anybody ever seen the show called Botched? Well, there was a man, I remember it, he had implants that made him look like he had muscles. Yeah, he got his six-pack sewn in. Now, he couldn't do what a six-pack will help you do if you get it legitimately. But he wanted to appear young. Rich Young Ruler had everything most of us want in life. He had youth. He was rich. And he had power. He had position. And that's why he's called a ruler. The Bible says when Jesus was about to go on his journey, this young man runs up to him and kneels before him and he says, good teacher, what shall I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Would you speak that to your neighbor? Jesus said, nobody's good except the Father alone. There are a lot of people who say, I live a good life. I do the best I can. I'm moral. I keep my word. I don't lie, steal, or cheat. There are many people like that. This ruler here, he was one of them. Jesus said, nobody's good except God alone because God is the only one who judges who is good or who is not. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Don't cheat anybody. And then he says, honor your mother and father. And then he said to him, and the young man said to, to Jesus, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. I believe he said that with confidence. Jesus looking at him, feeling compassion and love for him, he said to the young man, one thing you lack. Then he said, he dropped a bomb. I think it was Charlie Wilson who said, 
He dropped a bomb on me. I'm to get this picture. Yes. While we dance together, you should get this picture. Get the beards. How are we doing? Is that good? Cool. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Since you're going to be doing this, I'm glad you got. Okay, anyway, so. So um, uh, um, he said to him, he looked at him with love and he said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But these words, at these words, the young man was saddened. His faith, his countenance dropped. The Bible says he grieving. You grieve over what you lose. Grieving is over something that's dead. Is it possible that the young man realized that what he was turning down was an incredible deal, but he wasn't prepared to pay for it. You come asking the Lord Jesus, you know, what else do I lack? I don't believe the man came asking as much as he came declaring. I think he came basically saying, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm an example. I got youth, I've got money, and I'm a ruler, so I've got power. And I keep the commandments. Deep down inside, I believe he was a man who was, had something missing. Something was not content in him. And when he searched the bottom of his soul, like all of us are many times given an opportunity to search our soul to see whether or not everything is okay. I believe that's exactly what he did. Searching his soul and looking down inside, looking past his wealth, looking past his age, and looking past his position. Something was missing. Are you all breathing, saints? The Bible says he owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said something that shocked his disciples. How hard it is to come into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, you know what? It's easier for a camel. Has anybody seen a camel ever before? Now, in where I grew up in Sacramento, California, there was a city zoo. And as children from my youth, five years and up, almost every year we would visit the zoo. The camels were particularly interesting. I, I liked them because they had lips like black people. And, uh, and, and they, they were, they were really, really, they had a big hump in the back and they were, they were brown, of course, and, and uh, they were pretty tall and, and uh, they did smell, however. 
Jesus said it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And upon first observation for you and I, we define the eye of a needle as that, that sewing instrument that your mama used to use before the sewing machine. And, and many times you use a needle, a sewing machine can't get it. And there was an eye, a little eye, at the top of the needle that you stick the thread through and then you twisted the thread and you sewed the garment. I think I told you about my mama. Said some, you know, her eyes, as she got older, she couldn't see it. So, and she had to pull her, 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 her glasses down her nose and she, be, she, she know, her hands be out here. She'd be trying to thread that needle. And she'd get frustrated. She'd say, up, 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 up. She would, sometimes she'd forget our names. Because there were five of us, you know, Flynn Arthur, Richard Allen, David James, Rodney Earl, and Stephen Edward. So she would say, you, come, boy. Uh, and and I, I said, I'd go, thread the needle for me. And I'd take the thread, and I'd, you know, because thread, when it tears, it has many frays, it would fray. So I'd lick it, twist it, and then take the, the eye of the needle, and I'd go right through there, pull it through, tie it, and get it to her. And she'd, she'd take it from me like smarty. And then she'd say, just keep on living. Now I've got my glasses at the edge of my, and I'm saying, Christopher, would you come please take care of this? <laughs> That's not what he meant. In fact, it is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. As we, but the eye of the needle for them was the little gate inside the big gate. All the merchants of the city went to the huge gate. They would open the gates with the guards and let them come in. But in the evening, to protect the city from robbers and looters, they would close the big gates. And if you came after hours, you have to knock and get entrance through the little gate. Well, the little gate was so low until you couldn't get the camel through. You had to take all the, the treasure, whatever you were carrying on the camel's back, unload it, Scoot it through the gate. And then if you want the camel to come in, the camel, and if you've ever seen a camel, his knees bend backwards. He had to bend down on his knees and scoot through. When Jesus said, it's easier for a camel, which was difficult, to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, how, he said it again, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And all his partners said, Lord, if that's true, how, we're following you. We left everything. You remember when the disciples were called to Jesus, come follow me, they left daddy, mama, sister, brother, left their nets, left their boats, left their profession, and said, we're going where you're going. They said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. It's kind of interesting. I think that, that, that Peter speaks up. Lord, everything, we, what, what else do we have to do? I think they were evaluating their life according to what Jesus told that rich young ruler. Take everything you got and sell and come follow me. Then, you, then you'll have riches in heaven. When most people hear that, they feel sympathy for the rich young ruler because they don't understand. They're weighing what the ruler has 
not what he's going to get. They evaluate the bird in his hand, not the treasure in the bush. In America, we have, we have what we call, what I, what I would call, you know, the, uh, the American gospel, the American dream. We even politicize it. And we act like America is the kingdom of God. We treat our nation and our freedom like it's really the bomb. And frankly, compared to the rest of the world, I can tell you, my brothers and my sisters, America is the bomb. Now, those of you who have been sidewinded and brainwashed by your ignorant professors who want to create something totally different, they've never traveled and they don't, they've not seen much of the world. But my wife and I have had the privilege of going to many other nations and living in their economy. And I'm telling you, my brother, my sister, tap your neighbor and say, you're already living in luxury even though you don't know it. I'm going to tell you, our ghettos are in better shape than their midlife life. And in some nations, our ghettos are castles compared to the way people live. I think because of the way you're responding, honey, we need to figure out a way to take some folk on a missions trip so they can see what we've seen. I want to promise you when your feet touch America again, you're going to be down on your knees about, oh, no, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. All you got to do is get one whiff of those communities. And I promise you, you'll come home saying, thank you, Jesus. You be wanting a Big Mac so bad you didn't know, you don't know what to do. Unfortunately, because this is the way we live and it's what we have, we've devaluated what God has given us. But make no mistake about it, America is not the kingdom. In fact, you ought to deprogram yourself and just tell your brother, America is not the kingdom of God. You know, so while, while I, in comparison to other nations, I'm not trying to put America down, I do want to set the record straight that Jesus is not coming, Jesus is not coming back to America as the kingdom. Great transformation needs to happen in our nation. And I want to tell you, my, my brothers and my sisters, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I lack? It'd be like an American coming to Jesus with other nations and saying, well, you know, I've got great education, got great highways, freeways. We got internet, we got freeways, yeah. We got food stamps, yeah. I'm sorry, that was a little bit funny, but maybe it wasn't that funny. We got free food, we got free housing. We compare ourselves and the way we are to the rest of the world. But Jesus, when he shows up, is only comparing his rich life to what he understands the kingdom to be. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, there's some things that are keeping you from, from enjoying life the way you really can enjoy life. Has anyone ever seen anyone who's got it all and who actually is miserable. I'm sorry, if you know somebody that way, for real, I mean, they, they got the education, they got the position, they got the six-figure-plus job, they got the home, they got the cars, 
They got a TV in every room. They've got annuities. They've got insurance. They got it all. And you know them, but they are miserable. If you know anybody like that, quickly stick your hand up and look around, please. Look around. And yet, you can't listen to a commercial. It doesn't tell you that if you had more, it'd be better. All right, now tap your neighbor and say, more will not make you better. Look at somebody that said, more will only make you more of what you are. <laughs> we get caught in a gospel that's in between. A gospel that, a gospel that wants everything but wants to give nothing. Oh my God. The problem is we want God in America, in Atlanta, most Christians or many want God without giving him anything. We want to be safe and secure. My mom and my daddy used to sing that song. Safe and secure from all Alarm. We used to sing that song, Leaning on Jesus. Remember that song? We, we, we want security, but we, but we want it for nothing. Everybody wants a deal. You used to have a program called Let's Make a Deal. Remember that program? That's not the way you get God. You're going to get God on your terms. You get God on his terms. We only get relationship with God in a way that he has permitted us to have relationship with him. In fact, please don't get it twisted. It is not God that has to please us. It's we that have to please him. The moment you bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment you say yes to Christ, here's the deal. The moment you say, yes, Lord, I will receive you. I will follow you. Can you imagine every evil thing that you've ever done, ever thought, every life that's been negatively influenced by your life, all the evil, all the sin is transferred from your account to his account. And that's what you see in the gospel on the cross. He's bearing our sin and all the good that Jesus ever did is now transferred to your account look at your neighbor the gospel is when God switches account with you and he pays for your sin listen saints mercy I wish I don't know I, I don't know um, is it Kenny back there I don't know if you're able to put any of this up. I can't see you. Uh, I, I'm, can you put any of the yellow up? If you can, fine. If not, check this out, saints. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, which is the wrath of God. When God gives you mercy, it means you should have got, but you didn't. In other words, the Lord just said, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm taking this wrath in my heart against sin, and I'm not pouring it on you. I'm going to pour it out on Jesus. Mercy, mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Everything you've done wrong is forgiven. And the Lord says, not only am I going to forgive it, I'm going to forget it. Wow. And I'm going to give you what my son has. I'm going to give you his righteousness. And the, the Bible depicts this as a robe. The Lord, what he does, is like the picture of the prodigal son. He's stinking, he's filthy, he's messed up. But when he comes to the father, they take the robe and they put the robe over him. And by the way, saints, when God puts righteousness over you as a robe, there's some cleaning up that he's doing underneath that robe. Top your neighbor's head. There's some cleaning up God is doing underneath that robe. And he's not a, how can you get a better deal than that? I'll take your sin, but you take my righteousness. I'll take your guilt, you receive my freedom. I'll take from you your shame, and you receive an image of, 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 of innocence. I'll take from you every lie, and you represent my truth. I'll take away from you your poverty mentality. And instead, I'm going to give you my wealth mentality. I'm going to transform you. And you can't pay for it. But it demands everything. In the gospel, you can't pay for it with money. But the gospel demands. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, Jesus said, here's the deal. I'll give you everything I've given, everything I have supplied. I'll take from you your guilt, your shame, your misery, your lies, your filthiness of your flesh, I'll take it. I'll give you, I'm gonna give you in exchange my righteousness, my holiness, my riches, my influence. I'm gonna give that to you. And what is it going to cost you? Look at your neighbor and say, everything. Look them in the eyes. Look them dead in the blacks of, I mean the browns, I mean the whatever of their eyes and say, it cost you everything. How many of you believe that's a good deal though? I'm going to take from you hell and I'm going to give you heaven. How many of you know that's a pretty good deal? pretty good deal. Man, if you understand what I just said, you ought to be jumping up on your feet saying thank you, Jesus. I am, I, my future is secure. My, my direction is sure. If you understand what I'm saying to you, the Lord Jesus is saying, this is the deal of the good news. But the problem is, the reason why you're sitting down and not clapping, because you know in between is some stuff God is asking you for. In fact, I want you to do that in, I want you to do that for me. Look at your brother and sister. Do you know some stuff God is asking for you from you? He said, there's some stuff he's asking you for. The challenge is you get, we get stuck in between. In America, because the church has become brick and mortar and wood and a place and a meeting instead of a people. 
Because of that, we get stuck in between. I don't know what it's going to take to wake us up. I know I got a wake-up call when, when I went through injury. Man. It's horrible to be stuck in between. Going for your goals and your dreams and your aspirations and your desires, but stuck in between in your heart, knowing that something's not right, like the rich young ruler who says, well, what else do I lack? Lord, what is it do I lack? We get stuck in between because we, we, we are too Christian to enjoy sin anymore and too sinful to enjoy Christ. You know how that works, right? You know, sin is, is pleasurable. I'm sorry, uh, am, I, am I talking to the right people? Oh, okay. Sin is pleasurable. Am, am, I, am I right? How many of you know that sin is really pleasurable? You, are you too shamed to say you're <laughs> I said, well, I don't want you. know, I don't want to show you because, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want, you know. I... <laughs> the Bible said instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin, he decided to follow God. Speaking about Moses. Sin is really pleasurable. The problem is, it, is that it has a price on it. Is there anybody here that understands that the price of sin is a high price. But believers get stuck in between when they're too Christian to enjoy sin anymore because they know that's not right, but then they're too sinful to enjoy Christ because if I get closer to him, you know, then I can't see. Isn't that a horrible place to live? Just enough Jesus to be informed, not enough to be transformed. We want everything God has to offer without giving up anything at all. I want it all, Lord. I want it all. But you don't want to give anything, let alone yourself. We want to buy in, but we don't want to sell out. When Satan wanted to diminish the gospel, he started presenting a gospel that says, you can follow Jesus and live any way you want. When the enemy wanted to depreciate the gospel and depreciate its effectiveness, he came to us like this. Well, you know, beloved, everybody has faults. Worse than that, when the, when the enemy wanted to depreciate the gospel, they said things like this. We all have problems. You know, we all have situations. Now it's a situation, right? We all have situations in our life. Are you, are you breathing there? I'll give you the big one that the enemy uses. Well, you know, we all make mistakes. So the church is wrestling with following him all the way because we are in between. It's the Lord Jesus that calls us out like he called the rich young ruler out when the rich young ruler asked him a question. By the way, Jesus didn't ostracize him. He waited for him to ask the question, Lord, what else do I lack? What am I missing? And I said, well, you really want to know, I'll tell you. 
What you're missing is not youth. What you're missing is not a position. What you're missing is not power. What you're missing is a heart situation. And Jesus went after it. The Bible is, you know, the, the Bible is awesome when it de declares, in the words of the Lord, it declares the truth about the gospel. Even in the Old Testament, Psalms 84, 11 says, no good thing, Lord have mercy, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Come on, shout it out with me. No good thing, no good thing. Does, God does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Father, no good thing. No good thing. The enemy lies and said, if you, don't, if you let this go, you'll never get anything else. If you turn it all over, I think it was Danny Bell. Wasn't it Danny Bell that came up with this song? Turn it over to Jesus. Turn it over to Jesus. Turn it over to Jesus and you can smile the rest of your days. We don't want to turn it over because, man, if I really go there, I'm going to lose something. The truth is, it's all of you for all of him. The eternal rewards always, the eternal and the temporal rewards always outweigh the sacrifice. So in the gospel, Jesus said, there's something you need in order for you to have what you really want. He says, you've got to deny yourself. Now, self-denial, uh, we have to get... We, we, so, so many of us get a heart attack when it comes about when it comes to self-denial. Something in us, we have a allergic, an, an allergic reaction when people say deny yourself. Because in America, we're gonna live it up. Excuse me, we're gonna turn up. We don't tolerate, we don't just tolerate indulgence in our in our culture. We celebrate indulgence. We started it 20, 30 years ago when the songs came out. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Right? I know you know it. Yeah, it's your thing. You could probably think of some songs that talk about indulgence. I do what I want to do. Remember that song? Can you think of another indulgent song? I, I, I had one. It, 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 when you said that, I, I lost the one I had. There was another one. And loving you is a wrong. I, I don't want to be right. What? Can anybody else think of an indulgent song? I mean, a, say it again. I, I'm sorry, what was that, Ricardo, over there? What was that? He wanted to keep it to himself? Yeah, I'm checking you out.
can't say it publicly. But y'all be playing it privately, though. Be in your, in your automobile. I smoke. I drink. I'm supposed to stop, but I can't. Does that sound like a person who needs an encounter? We live in America, and in America, it's, it's typified by, man, we do it. We don't just do what we want to do. We do it to the hill. If you're going to do it, do it, right? And the, when the gospel comes, it says, I actually have something better for you than what you're doing, and you walk away with your guilt, and you walk away with shame, and you walk away with broken lives. When the gospel comes, it says, what I'm going to give you will be life and life abundantly. But you've got to give something back. The more we indulge ourselves in food or sex and drugs, the more we lavish in the amenities of wealth in this nation, the worse we get. And the further away we move from God, and the more Christians become stuck and the less like disciples we live. So the key, what Jesus said, if a man will deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me, he said, what you get is you get life. But that's not all he said. Some of us have not read down far enough. We, we didn't get all of what the Lord said, how he strategically answered his disciples. By the time the rich young ruler asked his question and said, what more? And Jesus said, sell it and follow me. Take up your cross, follow me, distribute it, follow me. By the time Jesus said that, the man drops his head and he's walking away and the disciples say, but Lord, we left everything. But that's not the end of the story. Go back, to your, go back to the Bible and look at what Jesus said. It's really, really quite powerful what he says. After he says, after he drops the bomb and he says, how hard is it, for, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. With people, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And Peter says, Lord, you, 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 we, we've left everything. And then I want you to look at verse 29. Anybody found verse Can you put verse 29 up there, Kenny? Is it possible? But when you, I want you to look at verse 29 because some of you have not, you, you think Jesus is trying to sell you a bad deal. You think he, he's, he's asking you for everything and you ain't going to get nothing. Or what you're going to get is going to take so long, some of you are tired of waiting for eternity. But the, the truth is, the Lord says something awesome. I'm in, I'm in, where I am is I am in Mark 10, verse 29. Find that in your phones, in your Bibles, in your, light, in your pads. If you found it, raise your hand. This is in the same paragraph when Jesus challenged the rich young ruler. 
Mark chapter 10, verse, right now, verse 29. Here's what Jesus said. Truly I say unto you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or, or farms for my sake and the gospels. Look up at me, please. When the Lord says, church, I want you to follow me, please don't get upset if in following Jesus it appears that you have to leave what mama said, what daddy did, what brothers and sisters mock. It is part of the price. Jesus understands what happens when the gospel comes out. There is a, where Jesus also said, you know, the gospel is like a sword. It cuts. It divides. When the gospel comes to your life, it doesn't come to your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. The gospel comes to you personally. You alone must make a decision. I will follow him. Look, not just believe in him. I will follow him wherever he goes. You're going to follow him, then he said, it might cost you. It's possible that when Jesus said, follow me, your brother may not be ready to go. It's possible that when Jesus said, follow me, that your mama may not want to go. It's possible when Jesus says, follow me, your daddy may have a different position. And how many have been ostracized by their parents and their family because they say, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. I will not keep living this lifestyle. I'll adopt yours. You're going to follow Jesus. It will cost you. But how can you put a price? on the removal of your sins. Giving you peace, finally. You don't have to wake up glad you didn't die because you knew if you died, you weren't sure where you were going to be. How awesome it is for you to live your life knowing that every decision I make because I made the, the, the prime decision, every decision I make from now on is out of that one decision since I followed him. There are certain things I just don't, I'm not, I'm not going that way. I'm not doing that anymore. I can't afford it. It costs me too much. Because I say I love him and I follow him. I'm sorry. I'm not going back there. When you say you're going to follow Jesus, it will cost you. You might have to go and get them joints. Lord have mercy. You say you're going to follow Jesus for those of you that know anything that would be displeasing to him. That's why he said, you know, you have to deny yourself. There is a self-life that everyone has, that everyone has to deal with. And Jesus said, you can't deal with that self until you first say, Lord, it's you that I follow. To say yes to Jesus is to make the most powerful moral decision of your life. To say yes to him says that that decision impacts every other decision. 
To say yes to Jesus makes you reevaluate what is righteous and what is unrighteous. What is, what is legal, what is illegal. What is, what is ethical and what is not ethical. Jesus said, you're going to follow me? Then I'll tell you what, number one, deny yourself, the self-life, the gratification of yourself at the expense of others. You're going to say yes to Jesus? Then the Lord says, okay, you deny yourself. And the next thing I want you to do is find my purpose in your life. That's what the cross is. Find out what you're supposed to do for me. Carry that. Let my life, my purpose be the number one thing in your life. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and in his righteousness. And then the Bible says, everything else. Look at your neighbor and say, everything else. Okay, let's go back up. First, seek first my righteousness, my peace, and my joy. Go after that. Then everything else. Jesus is not asking you to be a hermit and pull out of your culture and do something like the hippies did in the 60s. I grew up in that age where they, they couldn't stand society, so they created an alternative to society, and, and they, they created an, another culture within the culture. When they let their hair grow, when growing hair was not the popular thing. When, when, they, when they wore no shoes, when wearing shoes was the popular thing. Where, where they had tie-dyed clothes, when tie-dyed clothes was not the popular thing. When they had no clothes, when clothes was a popular thing. When they had free love, when they could sleep with anybody they wanted anytime. Because they were rejecting the culture that was. When Jesus said, follow me, he really meant that. It, it, it impacts every major decision that you make, beloved. Now, I'm, I'm under, I'm, I'm under, I understand that God is ready to bring powerful increase to the body of Christ. But the reason why the increase has not come is because we missed the last part of what Jesus said. And I don't want you to miss it. Because he wasn't playing. He meant what he said. For every person here who feels disappointed because you think when you said yes to Jesus, now you're going to be poor the rest of your life. For every person here who thinks that if I follow Jesus and I give, or I do what he said, I'm going to be on the bottom end. I want you to hear the word of the Lord because you need to know what, when Jesus says something and he promises it, he means what he says. And then he spills blood to prove it. Not only does it spill blood, he gets up from the grave. He says, I got the power to enforce what I said. The church, I want you to hear it. And don't be like the rich young ruler who take a little bit you got and turn around and walk away and act like you got a bad deal. So the Lord says, by the way, did you find that, Kenny? Are you able to put it up? Look at verse 20, look at verse 29 again. He said, if you've left, he said, for everyone who's left a house, a brother, a sister, a mama, a father, children. How many of you know that? Parents, when you make a decision for Christ, your kids can get crazy. That's the one I didn't cover. He said, if you've done that, you say, you make the quality decision. And then he, then he says, not only that, but if you leave farms. What? 
Jesus said, there's nobody who's left property, possessions. Nobody, not one. He said, you know what? When you do this for me and for my sake, my God, for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will. Somebody said, he will. I'm sorry, Kenny, uh, give me a yes or no. You can or can't put it up. Okay, good. Look, look, on, look on your phones. Check it out. But that he will receive. Would you please say, tell me what the Bible says in your Bible about that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Back up. Verse 30, what does he say? But that he will what? Receive a hundred times as much. When? I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you. When? And what? What is wrong with us? Somebody lied to you. Said, I ain't received my hundred because you ain't left your one. I don't see no increase. Well, what did you give up? That rich young woman said, you know, I, I'm already rich. You know, I, ain't got, I, ain't, I don't need to get poor again. You know, if you've ever been poor and now you've got money, I promise you, you don't ever want to go back. Excuse me, have I got any witnesses out there? If you grew up in poverty, you know, one thing I hate about poverty, you know, is it, it, it don't smell good. Hello? When you don't have something, it's a horrible thing to need something and you don't have it. And people that have, have achieved something, worked hard, disciplined, made the grade, got the degree, got the job, the money's increased now. Man, you, know, you never want to go back to where it was. Listen, I'm not trying to glorify poverty. Jesus, Jesus loves the poor. When the gospel comes to the poor, guess what? And when the gospel follows the poor, then the poor are poor no more. When you, when you, when you change your lifestyle and you start, now you're honest, you're forthright, you work like under the Lord, your work ethic is, is exemplary, and you, you, know, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't cheat, but you give your all to the to task at hand, and you have done the right thing, and now your money's better, and now, bless God, you can buy some property. I'm in your own place instead of that, uh, instead of that apartment where you can hear everybody's business through the walls. Why are y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about? You, and you have something now, and it's like, wow. You remember that first house you ever got? How when you walked through the door and they gave you the keys, you closed the deal and walked through the house and woo! You, you had enough to get the house but not the blinds? <laughs> Lord have mercy. Ain't got no furniture in it yet, but you know what? You're like, hey, hey, this is bad. You know, you got a house, you got a car, now you got some furniture. You even got pictures on the wall. 
Oh my God, now you got dishes in the cupboard and food in the freezer. Man, you go out in the garage, you got stuff everywhere. Now you got to build a secondary garage in the backyard to keep the stuff that you can't keep in the primary garage because you couldn't get the car in there. Then you got a two-car garage. Lord, have mercy. Now all the cars got insurance and all the cars are running. My God. You don't have no junk cars parked in the driveway. And here come, then, then, the, then the gospel comes and said, you're going to follow me? You can't put your trust in nothing you have. If I'm going to be your Lord, I want control of it all. I remember, honey, we signed a quick claim deed to the Lord when we wrote down all of our possessions and we wrote it down and signed it to unto the Lord that we don't own nothing. It was the greatest freedom you ever experienced. I'm, I can't remember his name, baby, but he'll come back to me. Bill, no, it wasn't Bill Gothel, somebody else. And we, and we, we, we went through that, that course and my God, we committed to all of our bills and everything and God helped us to get out of debt. Anybody ever been there? I'm preaching this way to you, Metro, because the Lord wants a higher lifestyle and activity from us. But you've got to first decide that the one you got right now, that, that it all belongs to him. You own nothing. This is the gospel. of Take up, give up your life, Take up your cross, Jesus said, and follow me. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. The person who really has done that, for real, I'm going to multiply by 100. Lord, have mercy, Jesus. I'm going to multiply by 100 the stuff you gave up. Now you're looking at me cross-eyed because you... You're wondering, is that really true? I, you have to decide whether you believe it or not. I, I, the Lord, that's exactly what he said, and that's what the word of God declares. He says, you know what? If you follow me, if you truly follow me, and you say, this is, really, this is really the Lord's, how do you know if what you gave to the Lord is really the Lord's? Well, what he'll do, he, he, at some point, he'll require something of you. Am I, if, I got, if, if I got a witness, somebody. Has the Lord ever asked from you something that you really liked? And you didn't want to give it up. I'm, I'm asking the question. Has it ever happened to you? Yes. I told y'all about that sweater. I found that sweater. I was in Munich, Germany in the wintertime. And I found this ugly green sweater. It's ugly to me now. It was beautiful then. Uh, this, this green turtleneck, multicolors. It came up around your neck. It was double woven. It was tight. It showed what kind of, you know, your physique. You know, it was like, you know, wow. You know. And, and, and then the Lord sent a couple to our house that didn't have nothing. And the Lord said, give him your sweater. <laughs> and I wanted to say, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Inside, I knew it was God. 
it took me the longest to give that boy. They, they were living with us. And, and it took me the longest to, and finally, in my heart, I said, Lord, I, I finally gave him the sweater. I remember walking in the room that day. Now, my wife, with, with this kind of stuff, she is like amazing. Amazing. She'll give something quick. Don't ask her today for nothing. But she, 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 uh, she, 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 she just take them off. I've seen her take them off. Just take them. Take it, girl, take these shoes, girl. You know, me, I'm like. I remember I finally took that sweater off. I gave it to Peter. And he was like, man, you, you give me your sweater? I said, man, please. I, in, in my heart, I'm saying, please, take because I loved it so much I loved it so much after Peter got the sweater and left I went back to the commissary to see if I could find another one and bought another one and it unraveled on me oh God have mercy this is a true story that's a true story Jesus was after something in the rich young ruler same thing he's after in, inside of you some of you, you, you wouldn't, you, you have problems giving up 10%. How many of you know that God is able to handle your, do more with your 90% than you can with 100%? Oh, yes. And it's that 10% that sanctifies the 90. A friend of mine said, my goal is to give the Lord, uh, Give the Lord 90% and for us to live off the 10%. And he said, we're on this journey. There's one other brother that I know of actually does this. But he makes so much. It's amazing. He started the process. First he gave the Lord 10, then he added 20%. And he kept on going as he was able, as he reduced debt and God kept bringing the increase. And now, now he's down now. He's giving God 70% and he's living on his 30%. In case you think this is crazy, that's exactly how J.C. Penney made his money. At the end of J.C. Penney's days, he was living off of 10%. And he was giving God 90%. The rich young ruler screwed it up. He truly blew it. Whenever do you see in the scripture Jesus saying anything like this to anybody? I looked and searched high and low. I couldn't find it. For you, sir, with your youth, your youth, your position, and your money, I'm offering you a deal. And the deal is you give everything away and come follow me. And then after the boy left, Jesus said, let me tell you what that boy left. Let me tell you what he turned down. Because his heart wasn't right. He turned down 100-fold. He turned down 100 times what he presently had. But Jesus wouldn't give him the 100 times because what he had already had his heart. You decide you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing you have. Nothing you have. Nothing you possess. They used to, my, my, my parents used to sing it this way. My mother was the pianist and she used to play. Is, is my keyboard person around? I'm, I'm done. I, I want to I finish this up. 
let me put it this way. My, my mom, she would play this. She taught us this song as in, in, in our youth. She said, okay, I don't know that. Okay. You can't beat God giving. No matter how you try, the more you give, the more he gives to you. Just keep on giving because it's really true that you can't beat God giving. They say giving no matter how you try. I don't know where we get this. If I surrender something to the Lord, I lose. No wonder it's that way. If Jesus said, lose your life and you will find it. Keep your life and you will lose it. It's like parents trying to squeeze a life out of their children, trying to take control of their children's life trying to protect them every ounce of their day, holding them too close and too long, assuming responsibility over them that even they don't have. And the more they do that, the bigger the kids get, the quicker they're going to get out your house. I'm sorry, that must have really hurt because they didn't nobody say none to that. They didn't even say amen to that. You know, I feel like I want to come down there and get in your face on that one. It's the truth. And, and one of the problems with Metro's having right now in parenting is you think you can control your kids. Until you give them away, you don't get them back. No, no matter, no, no wonder Hannah gave the boy in his youth. The more you try to hold on, you got a wife and you want to know where she is every moment of the day. You want her to call you three, four times a day to be sure she's she on the up and up. You want to control your man to the point where he can't even. Well, I was going to say that. I guess, I guess it's not proper to say that in public. He can't fart without you being there. People who want to keep to themselves control. The Bible says you try to do that, you lose it. You lose it. How many marriages are you losing because you're trying to hold an inappropriate hold on each other that's not even right? The principle works. Jesus said, you know what? If you want to keep what you have, then give it to me. You know how you keep a wife? Give her to Jesus. And then decide whatever he tells you to do, that's what you do. You know how you keep a husband? You give him to Jesus. He said, Lord, only you can kill his head. I mean, you know, you can straighten out his head. You give him. You stop, you let go. You know how you get kids? You know how you get them saved? Well, you stop trying to make them be saved. 
Oh my God. You turn them over as a gift to the Lord. The most dangerous thing you've ever done for your kids is to give them to Jesus. Particularly when they're too big for you to make them do anything. Jesus said, you know what? You want to keep your life? You got to lose it. If you lose your life, then the Bible says you will keep it. And then he says, and on top of that, all the other stuff you left, I'm going to multiply it times 100. I'm going to return it to you. Look at your neighbor and say, your money is the same way. I'm not saying you don't have to manage, but I will tell you until you turn that, that income over to the Lord, until you decide that you're going to manage it the way he wants you to, you loosen whatever he desires, whatever he asks you for. He said, you do that and watch me, I'll multiply. I'll put a couple of zeros on the end of it. He's not playing. I'm saying this for several reasons. The Lord wants to bring increase to your life. But how will he do it if you're holding on to everything? If you're acting like I'm going to lose or I'm going to miss out. That's what, that's what Satan said to Eve. God's holding out on you. I promise you, my, my brother, my sister, God is not holding out on you in any way. If there's something you haven't received that you believe you should receive, there's only two reasons. You haven't given God what he wants or your heart's not right, so if he gave you what you wanted, it would destroy you. You give God your heart. You let go of whatever it is. Say, Lord, I'm following you. Watch God reverse everything. Watch him multiply. Here's where I'm going to do this. Here's where I'm going to end this. This message, if it's hitting you, if it's speaking to you in a particular area of your life and you know it, and the Holy Spirit was talking to you before I preached this message, about loosening something and you know it's right and this is a confirmation to your life I want you to jump up from your seat and stand here as a, as a physical proclamation I mean this thing Lord this I will do we're about to see things turn in an unusual way in your life you're about to see God do what we would call the disciples said, it is impossible. Jesus, with man, with man, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things. He wants to shift you from the impossible into the possible. It's an amazing thing. It's truly amazing. I applaud your courage and your obedience to the Lord. But more than that, He does. We're being beckoned down a pathway where you've never been before. You're going to follow Jesus. Some things you will have to loose, loosen from you. Say, Lord, I'm going to give that up. And 
Watch the Lord Jesus. Watch him blow your mind. Uh, by the way, how does God know? How does God know you gave it up? Do you not know he sees your heart? He knows where your heart is. Surrendering that, not with your hands open to the Lord, out in front of you or above you, your hands open. Lord, this is my sign that what I've been holding, what I've been keeping, what I've been afraid to lose, by courage today, by your word, I'm going to do exactly what you said. I'm laying down what's been in my hands so that I can take up what's in your hands.